Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, y'all, welcome to the happy hour. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm really glad you're here for this episode on the very last day of August of 2022. Every time a new month comes over, I feel like, wow, we get like a whole new fresh start. It's why I love Mondays. It's why I love the first of the month. And I want to tell you, the show that we have for you today is a perfect way to end the month of August. My friend Sharon Hottie Miller is here today. She came in the studio and she sat down with me and we talked all about a book that she released this past month. Sharon's book is called The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power That God Promises. You guys, as I was thinking through this interview before I talked to Sharon, I really thought, I don't know that there's anyone that could say, I don't have a struggle with control. And really, she walks through in this book about why we crave it, how it only gives us anxiety, and that there's actually an alternative, that we have real power that God promises. If you feel like any of that resonates with you, which I'm raising my hand, it resonates with me a whole lot, you're going to really love our conversation. Sharon is one of those women that not only do I highly look up to, but I also respect her a whole lot. She's smart, and she's wise, and she's kind, and she's a great leader right now in our current culture. Her and her husband pastor a church together, and it's been fun to watch them grow the church, to watch them learn to serve together, and then to watch Sharon also give us this great content into the world that we can hold into our hands, even if we cannot sit in her church on Sunday mornings. You guys, speaking of the cost of control, I don't know if you've heard, but a new podcast was launched this month by Ivy Media Podcast. It's called Launch, and it's all about sending our kids into the world. Whether you're sending your kid to kindergarten or off to college, launching your kid into the world is no joke. Some days, we honestly wonder if we've done anything right. I don't know if that's just me, but I often feel that way. And there's one thing that is for sure, is that as a parent, we all want to do it well. Myself and my co-host, Lisa Whittle, we are here to help you in this parenting journey. On the podcast launch, we talk about all the things that parents are talking about. We're, we're talking about worry. We're talking about sexuality. We're talking about faith. We're talking about success. We're talking about all of the things. And with each episode, we bring an expert on to really encourage you as you walk through this journey of parenting. Wherever you listen to podcasts, go ahead and subscribe to Launch today and jump in on the conversation with us. Okay, friends, here is my conversation with my friend, Sharon. Sharon, welcome back to the happy hour. It's good to be here. It's really good to be here in Austin, Texas. Welcome. I know. This is the first time I've been in Austin in 10 years, actually. <gasps> What'd you come for before? Uh, it was If Gathering, <gasps> actually. That was oh, my gosh. Time. Yeah. Do you so, love my little city? I do. I It's really it's beautiful It's changed a lot there. in 10 years, I'll tell you that. Yeah. it's This part of Texas is so beautiful, yeah. though. Yeah. It really is. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been a while since you were on the happy hour. I wish I had exactly when it was, but it's been a while. And mm -hmm. I met you probably at if i would imagine because i think we did a little video roundtable thing didn't we yeah, in the back Yeah, that's right yeah it's been a while that's where i met so many people uh -huh. and it was like a whirlwind because i didn't know these people and all of a sudden yeah. i'm meeting i did like i mean i would do like five or six interviews a day with like two or three ladies so i'm like hi i'm jamie hi did you have your podcast then 10 years ago no oh wow that's really cool isn't that crazy uh-huh it's nine years this this may was nine okay. years yeah i know it's really crazy 
Well, welcome back to Austin. It's good to be here. Okay, so you're our pastor with your husband. Mm-hmm. Y'all co-founded a church mm-hmm. in Durham, North Carolina. Yes. I love following y'all's church online. Thanks. You've got three kids. Yes. Two boys and a little girl. Yep. Who um, she has your husband wrapped around her finger. Yes. Yeah, I was just, we're just laughing with Lindsay how she was asking about, we just celebrated Sadie's half birthday. Okay. Is that the thing y'all do? No. Oh, We've literally never <laughs> done that. Okay. And so he texted me one day and said, Sadie's been really excited about her half birthday. And she actually doesn't get excited about a ton of okay. stuff. She's very, she's, I don't know how to describe her. She's a very cool four-year-old. Okay. And so she was really excited about her half birthday. And so he texted me and he said, I'm thinking about getting a cake and making like a huge thing about it. <laughs> And I was like, okay, that's cool. But we have not done that for literally any of our other children. And our oldest is almost 10 years old. <laughs> right. You owe him about 10 half birthdays. Yeah. And so he comes home with half a cake because it's half, okay, that's half cute. birthday. And she wanted a blue cake, but they didn't have blue. So he also purchased blue frosting and then hand decorated it. And then he put half of a candle, like four and a half. Oh, my gosh. And I was looking at all this thinking... Now I know, you have to I do know, this. I know why we haven't done this for our other <laughs> children. Is this a new uh, Miller family tradition? Well, he says that it is now. <laughs> so he's committed to it now so that he doesn't look Here's like... Here's what I think you need. You need to bring up your half birthday too and be like, okay, if we're doing this, I want to go to yes. Mexico for my half birthday. 100%. <laughs> that's what you need to do. Yeah. So that, that tells you a lot about the dynamics of our family. Okay. I love it so mm-hmm. much. And she's out four. Mm-hmm. Four and a half. <laughs> of course. We just had the half. Oh my yes. gosh. Okay. Well, today we're talking about something that's really exciting, you guys. I know you're just on the edge of your seat. You cannot wait. Control. Sharon, I read your book a long time ago, mm-hmm. this book that we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. It's called The Cost of Control Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises. And this book uh, came out a couple weeks ago, as you're listening to this. And I remember when I got the email with the book, I was like, I need this book so much because I crave control so much in my life. And I know I'm not alone because you're writing a whole book about it. One of the biggest things that was kind of this aha moment for me, was, and I think that you write about this in your book, is we all know what happened in March of 2020. You know, mm-hmm. COVID hits and the world shuts down. My life changed I want to say drastically, but everyone has their own drastically, okay? I don't want to compare woes here. But I lost all my speaking. All of a sudden, I'm not traveling. My kids are home. Everyone has their story, right? And I thought, oh, if all these pressures are taken off, I'm not going to be anxious. And I found the exact opposite to be true, Mm -hmm. is that everything was pulled away, and I Mm -hmm. was still anxious. Mm -hmm. What did that show us about our lives? Yeah, it was really fascinating because... There had been, up until the pandemic, there had been a lot of research and a lot of books written about the link between anxiety and like our pace of life. Like the hustle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that's 100% a source of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I think it is really important to understand that. Like the spike of anxiety in our culture aligns with the introduction of the smartphone. And so there's a lot to unpack there. But it was really fascinating that with the pandemic, even though the pandemic, you know, threw our rhythms into disarray. So, you know, a lot of the the rhythms that were keeping us as healthy were, you know, needing to be reordered, essentially. But it did for a lot of us 
slow our schedules down. Like just like you, all my speaking was canceled. You know, we weren't leaving the house. You our know, we kids' sports are all done. Of our meetings. Everyone's home. Yeah. Yeah. And and we were having to there was a lot of work because we had a church plant at the time that was only a year and a half old of, you know, moving everything online. There was like a lot of change that had to happen, but still everything was simplified in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so there was a lot less busyness at that point. But what there was not less of was anxiety. And that was really interesting to me. And then it was also just fascinating to watch how everyone was responding mm. to the pandemic. And I think whenever we feel anxiety, whenever we feel fear, whatever it is, we tend to blame the thing as like, this is what's causing it. Like the it. pandemic. Yeah, like the pandemic is causing me to feel that way. And that's true to some extent. Mm -hmm. But what the pandemic also did was sort of come through like a storm, how, you know, a storm reveals like the dead branches yeah. or the dead trees. Mm -hmm. And it really exposes the weak places. And that is what the pandemic did as well. And so as I was watching my response and everyone else's response, realizing, oh, we have a major issue with control. Mm. And so much of what we were seeing in people's response was this ability or this desire to reassert control, reassert predictability, reassert you know certainty over something that we had no control over. And I thought, I need to dig into this. Yeah, I mean, you're it's dead on exactly what everyone's experiencing. So as you write this book, what is your working definition of control? Like, where does that even come from? So control, I actually have kind of two different definitions in the book, because on the one level, control is just exerting your will mm -hmm. over your circumstances and over people. But it's also about the feeling that it gives you. You know, there's that added component of feeling in control. Mm. And what was really fascinating in my research, and I have a whole chapter about this, about the illusion of control, which is a psychological term. And the illusion of control, that feeling of being in control, is actually completely disconnected from reality. So you cannot be in control. And still, and still feel like feel it. in control. And so very often that is what we're after. Well, it's, I was going to say, when everything feels out of control, what mm -hmm. I want is for to feel in control, mm -hmm. even yeah. when my world is spinning apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so very often we're just trying to get that that feeling, you know, whether or not it, it's rooted in anything real at all. And so that's what was happening in those early months of the pandemic was we knew on some level if we'd sat down and thought about it, I can't control this virus. Right. But they, we still wanted to feel in control in some way. And so that's what everyone is doing online, like researching and, you know, checking your temperature constantly and what's the latest numbers and what what's the latest data about, you know, what we know. But also on social media, everyone like giving advice, mm -hmm. all the advice, you know, yep. as if none of us had been through a right. pandemic nope. before. But we're, we're just most people advice. giving advice weren't doctors or exactly. nurses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And so all of that was in search of that illusion of control. Wow. We wanted that feeling of control, which is arguably more powerful. So much. Um, at our church, we talk about these like idols that we might have mm -hmm. and control is one mm -hmm. that was talked about. And I know, like I can name, this is where I struggle is I want to, I don't think I want to be in, I want to feel in control. Right. Which is mm -hmm. exactly what you just said of like, I, being out of control is not fun for me. Mm -hmm. I love hearing over the past two years, pastors talk about what their churches have gone through. Mm -hmm. I love the local church. And I think as we have people listening, I really like to have them have a perspective from their leadership. And I know you're not leading most people that are listening to the show, but you are leading a church body. What did you see 
with control mm-hmm. with your church body as yeah. we're, as y'all are walking through that. And you had a young church. I mean, that is just another layer of difficultness that you mm-hmm. and I had to walk through. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a really hard two years. I'll say that. I have not met one pastor church leader who hasn't said it's the hardest two years they've ever had of ministry. Yeah. And I actually, as someone who's relatively new to leading a church, find that actually a little bit comforting because this is kind of all we know That's true, because yeah. <laughs> our church is at this point less than four years old so the majority of our church has been in the pandemic so one of the things that that happened and I don't know if I've ever really articulated it quite this way but there was a clash between my own issues of control and then the control issues of people in my church as well And so I write a good bit about my own desire to control the people in my church and how that manifested in a way that I did not see it that way initially. Like when we think of a controlling leader, we think of someone who's creating like a toxic environment Mm -hmm. or they're leading through fear. But what I was experiencing was you know, every time we had to make a decision that we knew some people would not be happy about or they expressed that they were not happy about, I would think, well, if I can sit them down and explain to them the scripture that is informing us or the experts in our church that we have spoken to or the wise counsel that we have sought or the other pastors we have consulted and how all of this informed our decision, if I can basically download that into their brains, then they will understand why we made the decision that we made. And this was about control, actually. And it was this belief that the right knowledge, the right information, the right argument, it can make people change their minds, make them agree with you. And that is, again, that's an illusion. It it actually doesn't work. But what it does is it costs you. And that's in the title is the cost of control, that anytime you try to control something you can't control, it comes with a cost. And so the cost to me was first and foremost anxiety. You know, I'm laying awake at night rehashing all the things that I think if I put it this way, if I yeah. explain it this way, then they will not be mad at me anymore, or be upset with me or accuse me of such and such. And so it's affecting my mental health, but it's also straining my relationship with them in the process. And so that I identified that control issue in me, but the other control issue the, again, I don't think I've ever put it quite this way, is simultaneous to that, other people are also trying to feel in control at a time when they feel like everything is being taken away from yeah. them. And so if your pastor is now, your perception, complicit in some way in taking more control away from you, then it's you're, you're basically trying to find whenever control is taken away in one area, you're going to try and reassert it in other areas. Right. And so that's what my husband and I were running up against was those areas where people in our church were kind of like, I've lost control in this area, but this is the one thing that I still have control over and you're trying to take this away from me too. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, (laughs) it was just a mess. (laughs) That is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it it was, it played out in a lot of different ways. So like I'm thinking through that and that's an example that all of us can put ourselves in these shoes because mm-hmm. we've all been through this the last couple of years mm-hmm. we've all had our churches make decisions that we something we agreed with some mm-hmm. we didn't mm-hmm. how do we function as like not even just like society but as like members of a body at your church mm-hmm. like what's your advice take yourself out maybe speak to me at my church so you're not talking mm-hmm. to your people at your church mm-hmm. what is your advice how do we function well when we think that is actually not what i think is the best idea mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so... (laughs) In one section of the book, I look at different ways that we try to exert control. And one of those is knowledge and information, which I already mentioned. Mm -hmm. We think that if I can just download this information into your brain or if I can go online and like find out what's going on, that knowledge will help me to feel in control. But another chapter I have in that section is autonomy. Mm-hmm. And we are a hyper-individualistic culture where we believe that nobody gets to tell me what to do, yep. you know, fundamentally. Yeah. And what makes us really, really complex is that part of that is healthy mm-hmm. because we can look back on history and in our recent history as a country just this year mm-hmm. you know where there has been abuse of authority yeah. and where people have been taught don't trust yourself mm-hmm. you know don't you need to listen to your pastor you need to submit to your you know authority whatever it is whoever is in charge and the really dangerous effects of that and so there's an important correction that that is needed where we reassert your agency and your autonomy. Mm-hmm. And so I can't understate that enough. But our culture is also swinging in the opposite direction of becoming hyper-individualistic, like you can't tell me anything. And this is a form of control. And where this becomes really, really difficult is as we try to live into this vision of the body of Christ that we are given in 1 Corinthians 12. And I think part of what makes it unworkable is everybody wants to be the head, right? essentially. And we aren't the head. Christ is the head. Mm -hmm. And we are interdependent. We are accountable to one another. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you stop thinking for yourself. You stop, you know, functioning how God made you to be all that but it does mean we are accountable to Mm -hmm. one another and it's it takes nuance and every situation is going to be different but our language our culture has no category for that whatsoever and that makes it really difficult to function as a body the body becomes dysfunctional because it's just basically a body with a bunch of heads right yeah you know i think this is a a conversation for another day but you're the person for this i wonder when the church started to turn more individualistic Mm -hmm. rather than because because it wasn't like that in the beginning Mm -hmm. like we look back at early church history and there was it was together we are one body Mm -hmm. you know paul that was all his message his messages to the to the early believers was Mm -hmm. so much about like we're a body like mm-hmm. we can't function like this and i see that so much in the probably i would say maybe north american church mm-hmm. of very individualistic like like i show up for me mm-hmm. this is a sermon for me mm-hmm. what am i getting out of this yeah this whole christianity is just about me and jesus mm-hmm. and you're right when we get into situations like we walked through in the past two years mm-hmm. that doesn't work well with trying yeah. to be the body yeah exactly and you know there's another image of the church in Acts 2 where they're all sharing together and they're all having all things in common and we need that so desperately Mm -hmm. right now because what we see at our church is people coming in exhausted they're so tired from having lived through a pandemic just emotionally I think a lot of us are trying to return to our pre-pandemic pace but without the pre-pandemic emotional reserves and so i'm watching people just burn out so quickly and so everyone is coming to our church 
and they're wanting to just be taken care of. And the problem is, I can, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, yeah, we yeah. can't do that. Yeah. And so we really have to take care of one another mm. in order for us to share that weight. Yeah. But if everyone is coming in saying, yeah, well, I don't want, don't ask me to serve. Yep. You know, I like boundaries, you know, that kind of a thing. And I respect that. I totally yeah. understand yeah. that. But we can't take care of each other right. that way. Yeah. And so it, it breaks down and we're seeing it break down. Yeah. And it goes back to what we just had the conversation about, mm -hmm. about how we are a body for each other. Okay. When you talk about the different ways that we control, we've talked about you do knowledge, power, money, autonomy, shame, but you also talk about theology. Mm -hmm. And so explain that mm -hmm. to myself and the listeners. What does it look like to control with theology? Yeah. So each each one of those chapters, I look at the way that we use this thing whatever it is to exert control and to feel in control so to go back to those two different definitions mm -hmm. of control and so some of us have probably experienced theology being used to control people right. you know most notably cults that's mm -hmm. what's happening but we also use our theology to feel in control. And this is where I really nerded out in this chapter. I really love this chapter. <laughs> and you're the one to tell us about this. I really loved it. And I drew really heavily on Kate Bowler and her work. If you haven't read Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, I highly, highly recommend it because she them, does yes. like a deep dive into this as well. Mm -hmm. But how prosperity theology is our way of trying to feel in control in an uncontrollable world. Mm -hmm. And we see this in scripture in so many different ways. You know, when when Job is at his lowest and his friends come and basically ask, like, what did you do wrong, you know, to incite yeah. this from God? Or when the disciples see the man born blind and, and ask, like, who sinned? Yeah. And both of these these sets of men are practicing prosperity theology, this idea that, you know, fortune comes from being a good Christian or a good mm -hmm. religious person or, or living the good life, yeah. you know, and misfortune is basically punishment. And so you have this transactional relationship with God. But what that really is in, in both of those stories is what they're really doing is reckoning with their own vulnerability mm. in an unpredictable world. And they're trying to project a world in which they are not vulnerable to the same misfortune as this person standing in mm. front of them. And what it ends up doing is mangling their theology. And so whenever we find ourselves doing that, when, when you know, you come across a story on social media about someone who, you know, maybe something horrible happened to their family and and you're thinking, well, you know, maybe it's because they did this. Mm. You know, we immediately go into, well, you know, maybe it's because they practice parenting this way or right. they chose this lifestyle or whatever. Mm -hmm. And and what we're really doing in that wow which doesn't even feel like that's a form of theology, but it really is. Yeah. Um, what, the, what we're really doing is, is trying to get that illusion of control again. So if I don't do that, that won't happen to me. If I can me. name what they did wrong, mm -hmm. then I cannot yeah. Yeah. have that happen to and me. And I wanna say very clearly that a more secular form of this is the language around manifesting, which is very popular right now. Manifest your destiny. Yes. So I'm going to manifest my future into the world. And that's just prosperity <laughs> theology by a different name. And the thing about it is... It's impossible. It is. And it's also very cruel. Yeah. It's very cruel. To put on someone. It's cruel to the poor. 
get, get, you know, I, I'm glad you said that because mm-hmm. I was on a co-host relevant and we were talking about prosperity got the gospel mm-hmm. the other day and someone camera someone said something and everyone except for Derek mm-hmm. who is African American male mm-hmm. everyone besides Derek was like I cannot believe anyone would even fall for that mm-hmm. and he was like I'll tell you who falls for that the people who are living in poverty the people who are thinking if I will give my last ten dollars to you then I'm going to get a blessing back mm-hmm. and so that's what it is it's manipulating mm-hmm. people who are impoverished yeah it's and it's it's also used as a way to judge people that are impoverished yeah. and to say, well, it's because they made bad choices or because they're lazy mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. Yeah. That is just more prosperity theology. I was about to ask you, but I think that answered my question. I was thinking like neither one of us would subscribe to that mm-hmm. prosperity theology, but there has to be ways that it comes up and we don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, Jamie, don't be all high and mighty over here thinking mm-hmm. that you never do this. Mm-hmm. But even what you just said, um, I remember many times, you know, as a, as a young child hearing someone say like, well, the reason that they're on the streets is because they don't want to work or they don't have a job. Right. And so I was even trying to think, what would it be for me? Like, how, where would that come out? Am I, I'm not asking you to tell me where my sin is, Sharon. I'll have to work that out with the <laughs> Lord in a little bit. But but I am thinking like for those of us who are like, no, prosperity gospel is wrong. Mm-hmm. How do we still use that theology to control? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's, is really common when you're just scrolling through your social media and you see things, you know, sad stories and the ways that you think you start to blame them, you know. They must have done something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's just important to remember that whenever we neatly say, well, this happened to them because of this and, you know, I'm not doing this, which means I'm safe from that. And this isn't a thought process that most of us have overtly. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's like deep, deep down. Yeah. It's like a invisible coping mechanism that we have but to know that this is not biblical that that transactional if you live this way yes proverbs is full of wisdom of you know this is how to pursue a life of flourishing but at the same time you have ecclesiastes Mm -hmm. where you know he's asking why do the wicked prosper And there's a lot of, you know, reckoning with this, the seeming injustice of the world. Why, why aren't the righteous flourishing? And so to know that, that when we're doing that, not only is it, is it cruel and and it will come back for you, Mm. you know, at the end of the day, when you are, you know, experiencing tragedy or loss or whatever. And, you know, if people say things like that essentially blame you for it or, you know, what, what could you have done differently? Um, so it will come for you as well, but to know that it's, it's also just not biblical. Yeah. That's just not how scripture narrates mm-hmm. life in the world. Yeah. It's also very um, damaging to different sectors of people in our world. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about like all of the parents who are parents and kids with Down syndrome, mm-hmm. that idea, that theology of thinking that way mm-hmm. is saying there must be something wrong with you and your family mm-hmm. or you know, a person who has cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. Just the list is long yeah. of things, people who are quote unquote different. Mm-hmm. And then to think what happened here? Mm-hmm. That I don't, yeah. What do I do to make sure this doesn't happen to me? Yeah. Really devalues mm-hmm. a human that God created in his own image. Yeah, and it, it just, it all goes back to that illusion of control. And the that illusion of control term I was I did not know this because I've used that phrase before, the illusion mm-hmm. of control, but I didn't know until researching for this book that that is an actual psychological term that uh, psychologists in the 70s, I think, coined 
because it was so common mm. for people and it plays out just in so many different ways like there there was this one fascinating study they did on casino players okay. who they will shake dice harder when they want to roll a higher number and they'll shake it softer for a lower that's number. That's the illusion of control. Yeah. As if they have any control over the dice. Yeah, it's, it's imaginary. That's like not a thing. Right. But we do that. Uh -huh. And it's like a common thing yeah. that, that humans do. You know, players that wear the same socks. You or know, they don't shave the playoffs, their beard. And or, and you know, yeah. all of that. Like the, there's all these different ways that we find to try to tolerate our lack of certainty mm -hmm. in the world. And prosperity theology is one of the... I would say more insidious and subtle forms of it. Very, yeah, insidious and sub subtle. In your book, you talk about all that it that it cost us. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to list them out, and then we're going to just um, pick one: broken relationships, burnout, body shame, anxiety, and exhaustion. Mm -hmm. um, body shame was the most surprising of one in mm -hmm. here for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just would have, if you asked me to put a list of what mm -hmm. control will cost me, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have made my list. Hmm. Why is it? Why did it make your list? Yeah, well, let me back up, if that's okay, Please. just to briefly explain the title itself, The Cost of Control. So when I was wrestling with my own lack of control, you know, when everything was shut down and I was home with my kids and homeschooling my kids and I should never homeschool yeah. my kids. I was not created right. to do that. Mm -hmm. And so it was... A disaster and so I feel out of control I'm like yelling at my kids all the time so I'm apologizing to my kids all the time realizing these control issues and for most of my Christian walk I've known I shouldn't struggle with control that I should surrender mm -hmm. like whenever I'm trying to control things I just shouldn't and I should let go and let God that mm -hmm. kind of a thing the problem is that did not help me mm -hmm. at all you know knowing that I shouldn't control was just unhelpful right and so as I was thinking through it and trying to reframe it in a way that was motivating, I finally started to realize that whenever we try to control something that we cannot control, it always comes with a cost. And the most immediate one that we usually experience whenever you try to control something you can't control is anxiety. Mm -hmm. You know, you experience this like with your kids, yeah. you know, when you're trying to get them to do something that they won't do, it's really stressful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And some of that is you know, because it's a hard situation and you love your kids, but some of it is also because you're trying to control something you cannot control yeah. and that exacerbates anxiety. And so we see this, the reason that it is this way, this link between, you know, control always coming with a cost is that was written into creation mm -hmm. in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve, you know, reached for more knowledge, reached for godlike power and stature, and it had immediate consequences of anxiety, shame, division. And so we just reenact that yeah. anytime we reach to control something. So that was really helpful for me, just generally realizing, okay, you know, in this situation, I can try and like control my husband and I can make him make, I can make my husband make it. Yeah, yeah. Basically. yeah. I can make him. We know the ways. Yeah. And so I can do that, but it's going to cost my marriage. Mm -hmm. And I might not see that today. Yeah. I might not see that tomorrow. It could be five years from now but it is going to cost my marriage. And so that was really helpful for me to realize this is not going to fix it the way that I think it will. In fact, it will actually break it more. Mm -hmm. And so that was really helpful. But then looking at, okay, well, what are the different things that I try to control and what is the cost in that specific area? 
And a big one is our bodies. And I actually, as part of leading up to the release of the book, I did three different interviews where I really wanted to dig deeper into these topics. And these are all on YouTube, but I did one with Jess Connolly on the cost of controlling your body. And she speaks even more eloquently and powerfully and anointedly (laughs) on this topic. Mm -hmm. And so I highly recommend you check that out. But realizing the the thing about the illusion of control is in some areas of our lives, we actually feel like we're succeeding. Mm. Like you, you're promised you can control your body in a lot of ways. Like our culture yeah, promises us, that. Yeah. Like you can be this certain if way. If you do or, this, this will yeah, happen. Yeah, or like you can defy aging in mm-hmm. this way. Or, you know, if you have this certain diet, you're not going to get cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's all these different ways that we are promised control. And you can be successful at it for yeah. a while. Yeah. But it is ultimately a losing battle. You will lose this battle Mm -hmm. (laughs) to control your body because you are an aging person. And so what ends up happening, and I'm just now starting to experience that more where my body, my body for most of my life has actually submitted to me for the most part. And it's starting to not. And just experience it. We were just talking about our backs. Yep. Like I have to treat. I'm sitting here in back pain. I have to treat my back like a delicate yeah. little baby, mm-hmm. and I can't sit on uncertain surfaces. Yeah. And you know, when you try to relate to your body as if it is a thing that you that must submit to yeah. you, you will end up resenting your body mm. and your body will become an enemy that you are constantly in conflict with. And that particular chapter, I really drew heavily on the folks writing in the disability theology area because they're so far in a way like ahead of me Mm -hmm. on this thinking. Um, But that's something that I've, I've thought about a lot as I get older and feel feel those back pains. pains. (laughs) When I picked up your book earlier in the year, Mm -hmm. I know I have issues with control. I mm-hmm. will freely admit it. Um, I know I have issues with anxiety. Freely admit it. Freely will say, God, I need help in these ways. Mm-hmm. As I read your book, I found more ways that I didn't even know I had issues <laughs> with. So thank you for that. No, it's always good. But I think what I want to talk about next is like, there are so many people who like, it's not a question of, do I struggle with control in certain mm-hmm. areas? I think that is going to be a yes for humanity right Mm -hmm. you see all the way from genesis 3 um what do we do with Mm -hmm. that i mean how do we move forward you talked Mm -hmm. about that a little bit while ago but how do we move forward you know is it just like let go and let god and Mm -hmm. let him just kind of jesus take the wheel type stuff what what does that look like yeah so the majority of the book is a long meditation on genesis 3 and diving into you know, what happened when Adam and Eve reached for control and all the consequences that it wrought. And so that is the majority of the book. But at the very end, I turn back to Genesis 1 and 2 and look at the world that God actually created for us to live in. And what we see in those chapters is that Adam and Eve are not in control. You know, they, they're not in control of the garden. They don't get to do whatever they want. But they're not powerless. God actually empowers them and commissions them. And so what I realized looking at that is that God did not give them control, but he did give them agency. He gave them influence over themselves and over you know the world around them. Not control, but influence with limitations. And so realizing that there are some 
keys to practicing our agency that we find in Genesis 1 and 2. And so that's what the last section of the book is is looking at, is how do we put down control and pick up agency? And there's not, I think, one of the things that I, I didn't even think about this until after I've, I finished writing the book and turned it in and everything, but one of the things that we we want to know is, okay, well, when I'm in this situation, I feel out of control, like, what do I do instead? And what's a little bit tricky is I think that is still kind of a control. Tell me question. what to do, Sharon, and yeah, I'll it's do like, it. <laughs> so I can make sure that I'm in control like, of the out of controlness. Control, how do I still control without controlling right. it? And so <laughs> I unfortunately don't have the answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> but I can tell you the different forms of, of power mm-hmm. that we have, the different forms of agency. And, and the one of the very first ones is naming and ordering and how that's one of the first things that God does. And then he commissions Adam to do as well. And we can't control the chaos in our lives, but we can name and we can order. And so a big part of this book was just naming accurately mm-hmm. This anxiety you're feeling could be coming from control. Yeah. Like you're you're feeling anxiety and so you're reaching to control to soothe your anxiety, but it's actually just making the anxiety worse. And mm-hmm. so naming that correctly instead of saying it's just the pandemic. Right. Which is incorrect. Like right. that, that's only half the truth. Yeah. So naming is really powerful. Can I tell you something that I Lisa Turkers has a book coming out mm-hmm. and it goes along with what you just said. Um, November maybe, mm-hmm. good boundaries, goodbyes. Mm-hmm. Um and she says, where there's chaos, there's a lack of boundaries. And she said, mm-hmm. so many times when we're lacking boundaries, we're trying to get from other people what we can only get from God. Right. Mm-hmm. So I even think that goes along with like mm-hmm. naming, like what am I trying to get? Mm-hmm. Because I'm feeling out of control because I'm not getting that from them when I really need to get it from God. Mm-hmm. That yeah. goes right along with 100%. what you were saying. Yeah. So naming, ordering is another, you know, when I was feeling out of control with my kids and my house is very loud. Our house is loud all the time. Yeah. And so, but especially when we're home all the time, we're trying to lead our church, our kids are out of control. And so I'm feeling trapped. I'm feeling angry. I'm yelling. Like that was my control response to my kids was to, if they're going to be loud, I'm going to be louder. Mm-hmm. It was a control response. What we ended up doing that was much more helpful than me trying to control them with the volume of my voice was just giving my kids a schedule. <laughs> like that's what they Order. needed. Yeah, they needed a schedule. Yeah. <laughs> and so that actually really helped. Yeah. So it didn't control my kids, but it instilled order into yeah. our home. Mm-hmm. So there's things like that that we can do. Another big one is restoring limits. You know, Adam and Eve were limited in some ways. Mm-hmm. You know, they had boundaries. They were told, don't eat of this tree. And part of the reason we feel out of control is we are ingesting news all the time. And we cannot, we are not physically designed to bear all of that. Only God can do that. Only God can know what is happening, can be omniscient all the time without being overwhelmed by that. And so if you're feeling out of control, restore some limits like Mm. spend less time on your phone you know spend less time reading the news or reading a certain kind of news and then another one that happened this actually happened in genesis 3 and we don't really think of this as a form of agency but it's a really important one is the practice of self-examination of of just stopping and searching yourself you know after adam and eve eat the fruit and hide god says where are you Mm -hmm. And this is a rhetorical question Mm -hmm. because he knows where they are. He's not looking for them. That is a question for them to ask themselves, Mm -hmm. where am I? And unfortunately, they are unable to do that. 
they're unable to practice that form of agency of just searching themselves. Instead, yeah. they immediately shift into blame mode, which again is what we do right. when we feel anxious. It's this thing. Yep. This is what's causing Something me else. to feel this yeah. way. Instead of asking, why am I feeling this way? And so agency or self-examination doesn't feel like a big action verb, but it's really, really important mm -hmm. to pause and just examine what is going on inside of me. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I trying to exert control? And then also, what will this cost me yeah. if I continue down this path? And so that's just some of the forms of agency that we have. I love that. You had a quote in your book from Tim Keller who defines self-control as the ability to choose the important things rather than the urgent thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something to talk about. It makes me think of during that pandemic, I have this real vivid memory of sitting on my front porch and I love um, hummingbirds mm -hmm. and I just love to sit out there and see animals and I remember sitting out there and I felt so out of control mm -hmm. and everything was like, it was just like early on, we're trying to figure out how are we going to do church? They're filming church in our studio and our, and our stuff, things canceling. My kids are home, all their, everything that we all know. And I remember thinking, I feel so out of control. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that I realized when I was there doing a little self-examination is that I have bought into believing a lie that before March, whatever, mm -hmm. in April 15th of 2020, I bought into the lie that I was in complete control. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that lie served me well mm -hmm. until it didn't. Right. Yeah. And, 100%. That's, and that is what in that scenario, a lot of people went through. But I think that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Something happens to our child. Our marriage mm -hmm. goes through a struggle. Mm -hmm. Something happens at work. You know, we get dropped from a class in college. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. something happens. And then the lie is exposed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I was never in control in the, in the, yeah. in the meantime. Yeah, another form of agency that we see practiced in Genesis 1 and 2 and then abandoned in Genesis 3 is prayer, like communion with God. Wow. You know, a big part of the reason that they enjoyed such peace in the garden is they had this unfettered access to God. And then when the serpent comes and lies to them, that should have been the moment where they thought, maybe we should run this by God. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he set this whole thing up. Maybe we should ask him if this is true, yeah. you know? And instead they decide, I'm gonna handle this. Yeah. I'm gonna respond. And forgetting that they had the option instead of deciding to make the choice themselves to go to God and, and ask him about it and how often I forget, you know, how often we take our control issues to the internet instead of to God. You know, we're, we're doing the exact same yeah. thing. And I, it's amazing. I've been a Christian my whole life. I've been in ministry for 15 years. And how often I forget, I could pray about this. Right. Right. Yeah. How <laughs> about I just talk to God about this? Yeah. Like I could actually just pray about this yeah, right now. Yeah. I forget all the time. It's so crazy. Mm -hmm. Sharon, this book, The Cost of Control, Why We Crave It, The Anxiety It Gives Us, and The Real Power God Promises, um, is going to be... Um, so helpful to so many people because like I said earlier and I don't know if you agree with me or not I think everyone everyone craves control mm -hmm. in some way or another if you're a human if you're a human yes all of humanity is craving control mm -hmm. so thank you um I want to hear from you what are you reading these days so I just read a really interesting book called love thy body okay by Nancy Piercy and I had not heard of this. It's very long. It's kind of academic, but it was really, really fascinating. And it, I'm not even going to be able to do it justice. Are you honestly. reading it because you're studying something or you're writing something? No, actually, a friend recommended it okay. and just said it was really, it, it, it really helped to narrate our culture's understanding of the body and how, all right, how nerdy do you want me to get right now? Go. Okay. Go. <laughs> 
So basically, for most of human history, uh-huh. philosophers, Christians too, have elevated the mind above the body. Okay. They've treated the body like it's just this this thing that we have to deal with and it kind of holds us back and the mind really, you know, mm-hmm. like our emotions are lie to us and all this, but the mind, you know, really is the only thing that is clear and unfettered right. and good. Uh-huh. And so this has been Plato, you know, all these different uh Pagan philosophers believe this, but it, it also seeped into Christianity, even though when you look at scripture, you don't see that. Right. You see the body treated as a part of the self. And so she looks at how, and actually, I don't even know if she even got into all of that. I, that's some of my own studies that I brought into it. But she looks at how a lot of the language around identity and how it is is tied to basically like how you feel is this devaluing of the body. Mm. And so it's kind of, it doesn't matter what my body is, you know, what gender I am, any of that, it's how I feel that is is true. Right. And I read that and I was like, Is she I mean, a Christian? Oh yeah, yeah, okay, Nancy okay. Kersey, She's okay. She's written a lot, some really, really great. But in that, they're elevating what your mind thinks about your body over what your body is telling you. Yeah, that, that it like is. your body is not truth. You, your body like can the lie way to that you. God created you is not really real. That is a very relevant conversation right now in twenty twenty. So yeah, it's a very interesting, and I'll I will I'll attach an asterisk. Is it is in many ways like a an excellent excellent book. There are times when the tone is a little bit embattled, and I don't I don't love that. Mm-hmm. Anytime I encounter writing christian writing that's kind of us versus the world like Mm -hmm. i think we because she points to christians have had at our best we have had this coherent notion of the body and mind and soul and as being all made in the image of god together Uh and at our best christians have honored that holistically in the ways that we're pro-life but Christians have not always lived up to our own ideals. And the world can see that when we fail. Yeah. And so I think it's really important whenever you're talking about this to present this with great humility. Yeah. And to say, here's how we in, Instead of saying, hey, world, you guys have abandoned this. We've got this right. I think we have to say, hey, world, look at this beautiful um, idea that God gave us that we fall short of regularly, right. but thanks for thankful yeah. for Jesus, yeah. you know, who never failed. Yeah. So I, I'll say just, you know, the embattled, occasionally embattled tone, um, not my favorite, but there's a lot of like really great ideas. And then another book that I endorsed actually was, and, and this will probably only be more for pastors and leaders that are listening, but there's a book called A Non-Anxious Presence by Mark Sayers. Mm. Do you know Mark Sayers? Mm, I don't. Um, so he's one of the, you know how there's all the Australians? There's yes. this like generation of Australians uh-huh. that are amazing. Uh-huh. So he's one of them. Okay. He's uh, in Melbourne maybe? Okay. That might not be right. Like, weirdly, my husband knows a lot of Australian pastors and musicians. So God did something really cool in Australia. So anyway, he's still pastoring over there. Brilliant, brilliant guy. And in this book, he really unpacks what's happening in our culture, how we're in the middle of this cultural shift. And it just really helped me to understand my role leading a church. And so I highly recommend. He actually did a really fascinating few seasons of podcasts with John Mark Comer. Oh, yeah. Called This Cultural Moment. Yes. Oh, I've listened to it. So I know who he is. And so yeah. that's him. Okay. So his book was 
also like a little bit more on the academic side, but just really, really good. Yeah. And he's he's one of those people. I mean, he knows who I am because I'm was one of endorsers, uh-huh. but I'm like embarrassingly such a like I'm always commenting on his. I'm like, this is so good, and he like yeah. doesn't respond. I I'm have like, people cool, like that fine, to whatever. me, and I'm like, I think that you're like the smartest person I've ever met. And I just want to sit and listen to you, <laughs> and then be like, what is your how do you spell your name? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I definitely know what you're talking about with that as well. Oh, okay. Well, those are two great books. Uh huh. Are you working on anything projects right wise? Not really. I'm I'm actually just focusing on our church right now. I'm having to just it's been such a whirlwind. Yeah. I'm focusing on our church and I'm focusing on my marriage. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like I'm taking care of the important things right yeah, now. That's pretty much I it. I love it. Sharon. Dr. Sharon Hottie Miller. <laughs> Thanks for coming back on the happy hour. It's been fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to give you, and every opportunity we get to point all of us to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is the number one way that people find out about our show. It's because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that will make us think, they'll make us laugh, and they'll always point us back to Jesus. And come find me other places on the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm over there at Jamie Ivy. And if you've never visited my YouTube page, you're going to want to go there. Have you ever listened to a show and wondered, I wonder what they look like? Well, go find us over there. It's jamieivy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. Executive producer, Jamie Ivy. The show is produced by Lindsay Sweeney and edited by Angie Elkins. Art by Jen Jet Barrett. Original music by Matt Graham. And I'm your host, Jamie. Have a happy hour with a friend. <laughs>